Hello and welcome to the St Mungo's podcast episode 12. This episode is with Angela Lewis and she is from a military background and I'll let her describe exactly what that background is but she's also Director of Personnel Support Aviation and they provide team resource management training for the emergency services and they've adapted this from the aviation industry so they look at things like resilience, stress management, well-being, training, lots of human factor stuff and today she's going to talk about peer support Um, so let's just jump straight in. Angela, who I will let introduce herself, very kindly came and spoke for me at a, at a, at a conference that we organised recently in Glasgow and it was absolutely fantastic. So I was very excited to get her along to meet out a little bit of what she spoke about at that course. So Angela, hello and would you like to introduce yourself? Hello and thank you very much for asking me to speak. I'm, I'm delighted. Uh, my name is Angela Lewis and I have... I served 16 years in the Royal Navy in helicopters in anti-submarine warfare and then in search and rescue where I was a navigator, mission commander and medic in the back of the aircraft and um, I left the military two and a half years ago. I've been a crew resource management instructor for the last three and a half years and I've been an instructor in peer support systems as well. And so, Angela, that's why you're here today. We're going to talk a little bit about peer support, if that's okay. Um, so let's. We're going to get to a little case scenario a little bit later. But I thought we'd maybe run through some of the basics of peer support, is that if that's okay. So, what sort of things do we need support for? Do you think in medicine? There's so many big obvious events, the things that are naturally horrifying, or they hit the media and uh, it's on the news, but. As well as supporting for those, it's really important to support some of the lower level, the out of the limelight things that that happen every day for people, all the way from making an error to a misjudgment to the, the real difficult challenges that you can face. So what does too much stress mean and what does it do to us as individuals suffering from stress? Well, we know that pressure is good. Pressure is what makes you think outside the box, make extraordinary decisions. And, and in medicine, you cope with a lot of pressure. And if you think in terms of stress, it's when the pressure's too much, when it stops having really positive outcomes and it's negative outcomes from, from stress. It's anxiety. It's starting to make poor decisions. People lose focus. They miss things out. Um, you focus on the wrong things. You forget what's being said to you and we'll all know what it is to go from functioning really well to functioning really poorly within the same situation. And what do you think are the main reasons for addressing the stress? What what would happen if we didn't address the stress? Address if the stress, that's quite address, good. Address the stress. Has anyone ever said that before? No can business. I can I can I coin that or, or Trade- copyright that? Trademark it. Trademark it if you say it five times fast. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what what happens if if we don't address, what are, what are the negative side effects from that? The negative side effects of stress are we're not as good at doing our job. All these negative things that we take with us and we will not deal as well with the next difficult situation. But from a personal point of view, your mood deteriorates, you can become anxious, depression, and there can be long term sickness to follow from that. So how can we tell if we need support? Is it something that we can identify in ourselves? And is it something that we should identify in ourselves? Or should should it be something that others should be primed to identify in their colleagues? Or a bit of both? It's a really good question. It is a bit of both, really. I mean, I've come from 16 years in the military, so I have worked with a lot of 
alpha personalities in medicine is very similar to that. We all think we're superhuman and we can take more and more pressures on and we don't see when we're poorly performing in ourselves. So look for signs that you're doing something differently, but be open to someone asking you, someone suggesting that you might have taken too much on. And that's something that's really hard to hear sometimes. So what would someone notice within themselves, do you think? What, what would be the cues that maybe you are taking on too much or you are more stressed than you realise? When your attitude's changing is a really key one that you see yourselves when you have been, this is your dream job, this is everything you've wanted to do and you've gone from bouncing out of bed in the morning to struggling to get in and that can be something that's difficult for others to pick up on but you can recognise yourself when you're more challenged with things, you're finding things more difficult. Other bits that you see in yourself is where you notice changes in your own personal habits of what you do, your your way of unwinding, going to the gym, going to the football, whatever it's going to be. When that changes, that's a really good clue for you. And is there anything that others can identify in colleagues? Maybe colleagues say that they know quite well, that they've got a lot of experience with. What sort of things would maybe trigger them to think, you know, maybe this person is is struggling more than we appreciated. That's the beauty of support coming from peers because you have a base level, you have something to reference it to. So the person that's immaculately smart all of a sudden becoming unkempt, somebody who you can see is really quite tired looking and they don't have a new baby in the house, which is the other reason for it. For anyone who's changing their normal approach, someone's now late to work all the time and they just seem to have altered what's going on, Gut feeling is a really strong one there when you know somebody from before and after. So what is natural and what is unnatural? I've had this conversation sometimes with patients who come in with stress Mm -hmm. and anxiety due due to a multitude of different reasons. And sometimes I've had to explain to them, in my limited opinion, Mm -hmm. that some things are just natural. Uh, They'll come and they'll think that what they're doing and experiencing and behaving is something that needs help and support. And sometimes I've had to say, look, this is normal. If I was in your position, I would be also feeling the way that you're Mm -hmm. feeling. So there's a natural process that you've got to get through. But what is... What are those natural responses that are just nearly expected as part of a a stressful event? It would be really natural in the aftermath of something to be just really sad. No matter how many times you've dealt with a similar situation, something about it might knock you and you could get into your car and you could cry the whole way home. It's really natural to be frightened sometimes. And again, that's something that we're not likely to admit to our fellow alpha professionals. We feel guilty and we feel ashamed for things that are, are not our fault in any way she performed, but we're up against the fact that we're we're helpers, we're responders, we're the ones that fix things. And then when they don't go the way we wanted them to, we take that on as our fault. People have flashbacks. People see things um, that come to their mind without calling them. And in the first four weeks after an incident, that would be normal to be expected because it's been so overwhelming your brain hasn't processed it properly and one of the big ones to look out for is people who are angry because underneath that angry person can be all of these um, emotions and these symptoms and these things that are happening which we back off from an angry person and all these would be natural in the, the first few weeks after an incident if they go on longer than a few weeks over a month if they're affecting people's lives 
that's not natural and that's when they should be looking to get some proper professional help. So would it be fair to say then that it's it's okay for people to go through that? It's nearly part of the, the process. Yes. It's, it's, it's important that they go through those different stages, but those around them, just as long as they're aware of them and can kind of facilitate a journey through them, as kind of smooth it out a little bit, then that's, that's probably an, a natural way to, to go. That's exactly it. You don't want to underplay something that has been really really sad for someone you can't make that less sad and it would be naive to think you could you could do so but you can certainly help support someone who is that upset about an incident in order to just help their own natural processing we don't want to take away from anything we don't want to take away from how the their system is going to work something through we just want to be alongside them for it okay so we've probably all experienced a bit of stress Mm -hmm. I feel like I nearly ought to tell you all my stress, <laughs> but I won't. Um, but we've all been there. We've all experienced degrees of stress yes. in our job. And there's probably naturally been a bit of a culture of just, oh, you'll be fine. You'll, you, We've all been there. It's part of the job. You just get on with it. And, and you do. And maybe a few days or a few weeks aren't great, but then you get over it. And with time, things get a wee bit better. So is that okay to do it that pathway? Or... Is there an advantage to addressing it more heads on? What, what, what would be the advantage to your colleagues, to your department, to be more proactive in addressing the stress of their, their, their employees? Well, there's a legal requirement to not only look after people's physical, but their mental health. The Health and Safety Executive lays that out very clearly, that physical and mental health sit alongside. So you have to take care of people. There's a moral reason to do it because if we ask people to do difficult jobs and to face really hard situations, then surely it's the right thing for us to do, to look after them and to take care of them when these things can become too much for them. But perhaps the most compelling reason is because operationally people will work better. If you invest in your people, if you tell them you care, you're interested in in what's happening and how things are being dealt with, that's just good management and strong leadership to have a programme, whether it's you or whether you've got other people around to to help work out difficulties. And you, you quickly develop a reputation as a good place to work despite everything. Do you think that could have an impact on productivity and retention and employment of staff? Kind of feels like if if you had a culture of of support and encouragement, then then perhaps that may that may lead to better drawing in and keeping of staff. Is that? There's really good worldwide examples of that. In the Australian Fire Service, they did a test where they reckon there was nearly a thousand percent return on money spent in well-being and caring for their staff. The Irish Navy send their vessels out to the Mediterranean to deal with the refugees and the horrendous situations they must face. And because they've got a really robust network that works the whole way through, they have never lost a person. Nobody has decided not to come back to duty or asked to be transferred off what they're doing. And in Germany, Lufthansa run a really amazing organisation which has been in the goal for about 20 years called Siftung Mady and they support pilots and in the aftermath of the German wings crash which was the subsidiary of Lufthansa they supported thousands of people and after 10 days they had over 100% worth of people were back at work because there were more people that wanted to be in work providing support for their colleagues after something that was really hard to happen to an organisation. 
So if you don't mind, I thought we would maybe discuss a case. Mm -hmm. Just that might facilitate just how to think about it and how to apply it to your practice, if that's okay. So I thought we'd just invent the scenario um, and you're going to be my mentor. You're going to advise me how I should deal with this situation. So I'll say that I'm the senior colleague Mm -hmm. in in the department and one of my junior colleagues, um, say, has made a drug error, Mm -hmm. let's say, just for, for the purpose of this. The patient didn't come to any harm, thankfully, but obviously they naturally feel very guilty about it. So I was just wondering if we could go through the different uh, stages of how we would deal with this. So first off, what what would you do immediately? What would you advise I do immediately for that for that colleague? First thing you have to think about is safety and safety of your colleague. Do they need to be removed from the situation because people in shock can say the wrong thing and behave Um not as expected so bring them somewhere safe it's about acknowledging that something's happened um, which is a sort of wider across the board thing asking what you can do and properly listening to somebody different from how you listen to your patients or how you listen to your colleagues you take them to somewhere safe you need to give them somewhere where they can experience their shock and say their own things and you need to get some hydration into them it's a cup of tea it's water you need something to help counterbalance all that adrenaline and cortisol that's racing around their system and you provide the calm the fact that you have walked in to support someone you've you've taken gone past that awkwardness you've asked them can sometimes just make all the difference in bringing someone from really high edge level um back down and and lowering their distress but also you might not be the right person for it is another colleague a bit closer is someone a bit more at level in rank and position and who would be the right one to talk to them okay so i followed all those steps and and i felt that i was the most appropriate person to Mm -hmm. to speak to them so i was able to spend a little bit of time but obviously we've got time pressures in a and e and i had to return to the floor and look after some other things but i want to go back and check up check up on them Mm -hmm. Um, what would you recommend then? We've gone through that first little immediate phase. What what would be the things to do maybe later in the day? Well, the theme of safety continues because are they safe to come back on to shift? And that depends on the nature of the incident. It depends on the person that they are and what's how they're dealing with what's happened. But it also depends on the strong leadership that you have. Does somebody need put in alongside somebody else? Do they need almost mentored or shadowed through something because it can be such a huge knock to your confidence so are they safe to continue if they're not safe to continue where are they going are they going home are they fit to drive are you are they do they need a lift home do they need taken care of in some way and what are they going home to are they going home to family and are they going home to support or are they going home to be in their own and that's This is about harnessing the social support that comes from a really strong, tight team like an emergency department. Um, Are are they better staying here until a certain point? Okay, so it it just so happens it's near the end of the shift. Mm -hmm. And so we decide just to to let them leave a little bit early. Mm -hmm. Um, So is there anything that I could do or say in this moment just before they leave that would be helpful or supportive? When you think about all the natural responses, um, it's good knowing the person things that might be applicable to them you could feel really sad you could feel really fearful you have to be careful when talking about shame and guilt because 
they might not have got to that point yet, but it would be really good to advise them. You can feel really down, you can feel really low from this and you might have trouble switching off. And that's when we tailor things for them. Look after your sleep, make sure you eat well, even if you don't feel like eating and try and get out and about and do something that's that's nice for you. We don't give them too much information at this point because they don't take very much in. And in fact, the German model response is where there's only four things that you will give people because beyond that, they're not listening to you. Is there any benefit in me telling them some of my experiences? Say I had a shared experience. Is that useful? Is it useful for someone who's a little bit vulnerable, who's a junior who maybe looks up to their senior colleagues, is it useful for them to hear from their senior colleague that they too have experienced something like this? I'm not suggesting yeah. we make stuff up, but if I can say, look, I, I did a similar thing when I was at your stage and, and this mm-hmm. this this is something we've been through, so, you, so I empathise. Is that helpful? Empathy is one of the, the underpinning things in all of this where you can see that you are you're standing with somebody as they're going through something that's difficult it's really giving to share of something that you've done for somebody else's benefit this is my error um one of the real dangers in that is to stop the story being their story and where it comes back to yours so i would say it's great to give of that but to do it with caution okay so so what's next? So what what can we do? Um, do we just forget about it? Do we just move on like things never happen, which is often what happens? Um, or what, what would a good supportive um, department, good supportive colleagues do over the next coming days, let's say? Okay. It can be a really lonely place if you have made, uh, if you've made an error and there are consequences and you can feel like you're on your own with it. And with our very British mentality of what's awkward. We find it really hard to to get past that and to ask somebody, but it's worth staying in touch. It's worth, we've got a million means of communication, drop a text message, an email, whatever, to say, um, I heard that was difficult and what can I, you know, can I do anything? You're on, your, you're on my mind and um, give me a shout if you want to talk. That's just offering to listen to someone or to be there is whether they take you up on it or not can just be make the difference for someone who feels they're very much on their own with an incident that's happened somebody going into work somebody returning offering a bit of space you know like uh, do you want to meet for a cup of tea before the shift starts do you want to meet for something uh, to make an available space for somebody to talk through where they are because they will change, you know, their feelings will change, their their reactions will change as things start moving down the next few days. And if somebody then tells you they're struggling with sleeping, they're really still not feeling like eating or doing their normal things, they're still really angry, you can help them process that. You can help them normalise that and um, things to help encourage better coping with them. And it's really important that with your language, you're not saying things like, Oh, it wasn't your fault. I'm sure everything will be okay. Oh, we all do that sort of thing. Not to worry. You can't trivialise what's happened and neither can you um, say something that might not be true because maybe they have made a genuine error that's not for any other circumstances than their own. So is there something going on in their background? Is there something that's distracting them from from what their norm is? And, and how can you push someone into either addressing it or, or getting a bit more help with another issue? 
maybe the department needs changed and with my my human factors head on maybe there was a a systemic reason for why the wrong drug was available the labels are too similarly colored so what can we do to make the department stronger by being open following this incident okay so our colleague has thankfully returned to work um so so what should we do now um i I guess we don't want to be too involved but we don't want to be under involved we want to just get that right balance of of encouragement and support so so just thinking simply any little tips for the next few weeks um in dealing with this particular situation well you know it's very much person driven so it's what the person needs then and whether you're just making a regular contact of asking how somebody is you will get the sense of when I don't want to talk about this anymore, where the where this is closed and when I'm not there. But while that's happening, keep an eye on how they are relative to their norm. Has their appearance changed? Has their mood changed? Has their attitude to work changed? Do they look tired? Are they their sleep patterns disturbed? Because that's an indicator that still something is struggling under the surface there. And it's about being able to follow what someone needs to do from there on. So if they identify they need more training in a certain area, you have to empower them to go and find that for themselves. You have to ask them what it is they're looking for. Do you want my support? Do you want my mentoring? Do you want somebody else to come in and do that? Okay, so what if you can't normalise it? What if you identify this this colleague is still struggling? Well, the, that's being really aware of your role, what you can do and what you can't do. You're a peer, you're not a counsellor, you're not a therapist, you're not a psychologist. Those are professions beyond what we would expect to be. So if somebody is not functioning well, if you think they could be a danger, if you think they are are not fit for it, you have to encourage them to refer themselves for professional help. And we've got a whole host of support mechanisms, certainly within different hospitals. The The spiritual care team is about well-being. It's about staff care. Um, I certainly know NHS Lanarkshire are looking at putting in a pilot programme of how to support colleagues. And as well as their own chaplaincy team, they're using uh, medics to sit alongside. So they've got most bases covered for people that need it so be aware of where the support networks are and know your limits and what you can offer for help okay angela thank you so much i think we've got our colleague through this difficult time which is great a lot of great uh, pearls there i usually finish off these podcasts with one last question if that's okay i usually Mm -hmm. invite people back on my time machine to go (laughs) back and visit their junior self starting Mm -hmm. out what have you gained in your experience um, that you think would be useful if you could go back and tell your junior self starting out in their career? What 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 have you found helpful along the way? I wish I had the confidence to ask back 15, 20 years ago at that stage where you could see people were struggling and I worked alongside colleagues who found things very, very difficult and I wish I had been more forthcoming with asking how they were. That's what I would do differently. Angela Lewis, that seems like a good place to finish. Thank you so much for coming today. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So many thanks to Angela for her thoughts on peer support. I think that was a very enlightening conversation and I don't think we often get very touchy-feely with our emotions in critical care medicine and perhaps we ought to do so. Certainly our jobs are not getting any less stressful as the years progress. I think my main take-home points are Number one, pressure can be good for performance, but too much can negatively impact our jobs, plus our physical and mental health. 
number two, how do we recognise stress in ourselves or in our colleagues? Well, we may notice changing attitudes, appearance or habits. We may find things more challenging and don't ignore your gut instinct. Number three, why is it important that departments address the stress of their colleagues? Well, I think evidence would suggest that employees tend to work better in such environments and departments tend to attract and retain staff better and experience less sick leave. And number four, when managing a stressful incident, it is really a staged approach starting in the moment and then continuing over the coming days and weeks. And it takes very little effort and the impact can be significant. So many thanks again for listening. Many thanks again to Angela for her time. Please visit stmungos-ed.com for the show notes with some links to some of the things that we discussed and also lots more additional resources for your enjoyment. And if you like this podcast, then please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. I'm not entirely sure what difference that makes, but I've heard every other podcast say it, so I'm sure it must have some significance. So many thanks again for listening and take care.